What's the the craziest thing that you've seen him do workout wise? Like where you've just been, even you as his trainer for a long time, were shocked at what he was able to accomplish. He had gotten into a kind of a verbal competition with one of my guys that work with me um, who competes in strongman. This is Brad Arnett. He's a personal trainer, and we're talking about NFL star J.J. Watt. J.J. trains with Brad in the offseason at his gym in Wisconsin. In this conversation, the one between J.J. and the strongman competitor, it revolved around one object inside Arnett's gym, a giant tractor tire. Yeah, I've got a big tire. It's a big front-end front loader tire. It's 1,000 pounds. And he was talking about how many times he had to flip it, and Jay's like, oh, you know, I can do that. This was at the end of our workout, so we were done. And he stands up, he's like, oh, I want to, I got to do something, I'll be back. Before I knew it, he's got this thousand pound tire on the turf, and he's flipping it, and he's flipping it, and he's flipping it, and he's flipping it. He flipped a thousand pound tire 75 times in a row. <laughs> Good God. Yeah, it's crazy. And if I would have let him, he would have done it a hundred times. There's no doubt in my mind. Even in the NFL, a league filled with huge men who spend hundreds of hours at the gym every year, J.J. Watt has a reputation as a fiendishly hard worker. It's J.J.'s key character trait. The first thing anyone learns about the six foot five, 295 pound man. But the thing is, all that hard work, it's not just myth-making hype. It's what led to J.J. becoming one of the league's best players. He's been first-team All-Pro four times for the Houston Texans and won three Defensive Player of the Year awards. He's made four Pro Bowls, and he credits all these accolades to one thing, his work ethic. I mean, I've learned that you can't cheat it. There's no way around it. That's the beauty of sport. That's the beauty of success in general. There's no shortcut. You're not going to all of a sudden go out there and run a... 4240 and bench press 700 pounds if you never hit the weight room. I mean, if you can, awesome. I'd like to shake your hand because I wish I was like that. But you're not just going to all of a sudden show up one day if you didn't work out the whole offseason and go out there and be the best player in the league. So you have to put in the work. And JJ puts in the work. He always has. He's always had a plan, a series of step-by-step actions to lead him forward. And he's needed a plan because the path wasn't always clear. Early in his career, J.J. was not the athlete he is today. In fact, he was the opposite. An unheralded 18-year-old, fresh off a disappointing end to his high school career. Today, we're going to hear how J.J. went from being ignored on the gridiron to being an opponent you absolutely need to pay attention to. I'm your host, Dominique Foxworth. From Gatorade and Gimlet Creative, this is The Secret to Victory. J.J. grew up in Pewaukee, Wisconsin. It's a town of 14,000, about a half hour west of Milwaukee. Hockey country. In the winter, Pewaukee Lake freezes over, and the kids from around town lace up and slide onto the ice. J.J. picked up the sport early. His mom, Connie, remembers spending a lot of time at the rink. Well, it started when he was four. He started playing hockey when he was four, and I remember coming home from work at noon every day, meeting them at the hockey rink. We were at the hockey rink all the time. Um... Quantifying hours and time, I don't even know that that's possible. He and his younger brothers, Derek and TJ, were always playing something. When the weather was nice, they were outside running around, throwing a baseball or a football. 
When it was raining or snowing, they were in the basement playing knee hockey, which is exactly what it sounds like. Hockey that you play on your knees. It was an outlet for three energetic boys with nothing but sports on their minds. And at the same time, JJ and his brothers were getting stronger. They were lifting weights in the basement starting about 12 years of age. Then we'd go down there as a family. You know, my husband would always supervise. By the time he reached high school, JJ knew he wanted to be a pro athlete. So he started looking for a roadmap. But in Pewaukee, those roadmaps are hard to come by. We had one person before me ever make it to the pros. We had that kid from my school. It was maybe 10 years before me. You know, when I was there, we were a mediocre football team at best. This is Chris McIntosh, the first person from Pewaukee High School to play pro football, and one of the few to get a big-time college scholarship. The idea of a high school athlete from Wisconsin getting a scholarship to play for a Big Ten program, that would get you laughed at. But I just had this work ethic, this kind of focus on what I can do today that, you know, allowed me to to realize those achievements. McIntosh went on to play for the University of Wisconsin, and later he was drafted in the first round by the Seattle Seahawks. And that was really one of those springboards that told me, okay, somebody from our town can make it. And once I saw that, then I just worked backwards. So, okay, he went to the NFL, he played at Wisconsin, he was like this in high school, he was all-conference. Okay, how the hell do I get to be all-conference? As a teenager, J.J. was good, but that's about it. Just good, not great. He was undersized for his age, a solid starter on the Pewaukee High team, but nothing more. If he was going to follow in McIntosh's footsteps, he knew he needed some help. Here's Brad, J.J.'s trainer again. He came in with his dad, just looking for his son to get some assistance in possibly becoming a Division Three athlete. Division Three, of course, is the lowest level of college athletics. There aren't any athletic scholarships, and it's a far cry from big-time Division One schools like Wisconsin. So... Early in J.J.'s high school career, even a spot on a D3 team wasn't a given. All he could do was keep grinding. I mean, you're talking about a kid that, even as a 15-year-old in high school, would come in at 5.30 in the morning and work out before school. Just the drive, just the determination as things started to develop, that gave me uh, the thought process that this kid's going to develop. J.J.'s work ethic is very much something he inherited. His dad, John, was a firefighter routinely pulling 24-hour shifts. His mom, Connie, worked as a dispatcher at a home inspection company. She was 25 and had three young kids when she started that job. And I remember telling them, you know, the family was always a priority. I told them I would work harder during my eight hours. (laughs) So every morning she'd wake up, make my brothers and I hot breakfast before school, before she goes off to work. She'd go off to work, come home, make us hot dinner, and make sure that we had enough food. She'd make us do our homework, sit down, and do our homework with us. Even though I worked full-time, I was able to be home for the breakfast and be home after their practices. And then make sure we're in bed and wake up the next day and do it all again. All she did was work. Connie eventually worked her way up to vice president of that company. And seeing all that hard work had an effect on JJ. He knew where he wanted to go, the NFL. But it seemed like such a lofty goal, maybe too lofty. So J.J. broke it down. He did just like Chris McIntosh, the Pewaukee player who went pro before him. He focused on the present and what he could get done today. Making it to the NFL when you're a high schooler, that sounds like a monumental task. It's a mountain of a task. But then when you say, hey, today you have to eat, 
chicken breast and broccoli and rice, and you have to go to the weight room and you do your homework. A high school kid can do his homework. He can eat right. He can hit the weight room. So that he can understand. But you, you can't have that global idea if you don't know what it takes today to do it. After JJ's junior year of high school, his plans were derailed completely. While most other players at this level were spending the summer going to football camps and trying to impress college coaches, JJ got sick. He got mono. He couldn't play, and he missed out on all of that. And JJ needed those camps to show off what set him apart, his work ethic. That's the kind of thing that doesn't show up on game tape. There are two major recruiting sites college coaches use to help narrow prospective players, Rivals.com and Scout.com. In 2006, both sites gave JJ just two out of five stars. It was a devastating blow for a young player. All the major schools overlooked JJ, but he did receive a scholarship from Central Michigan University. The school wasn't known for its football, but it was D1 and close to home. So JJ took the scholarship and he settled in for what proved to be a disappointing freshman season as a tight end. When I was at Central Michigan, I was playing tight end. The tight end played like 15, 20 plays a game. And I was obviously hoping to make it to the next level and, and trying to give myself the best chance to make it to the next level. And playing 15, 20 plays a game, you're just not gonna get the work you need, you're not gonna get the exposure you need. It just really wasn't that fun. I wasn't having a, a good time. J.J. played in 14 games his freshman year, but he caught just eight passes for a total of 77 yards. He wasn't happy, so he came up with a new game plan. He had two choices. He could stay put at Central Michigan where he had a coveted starting spot and a guaranteed scholarship and hope things got better. Or he could take a leap and walk away from all that. He could try to transfer to the University of Wisconsin, the Big Ten school near where he grew up the same school where Chris McIntosh played. But if he did that, J.J. wouldn't have a scholarship, and he'd have to sit out for an entire year. He'd have to walk on to the football team. Seeing his prospects at Central Michigan dim, J.J. decided to risk it. He chose Wisconsin. He called his mom one afternoon to talk about it. What was your first thought when he told you that he was going to transfer from Central Michigan, where he had a scholarship, to Wisconsin, where it was unsure if he would have one or not? Well, my first thought was, could you wait till I got home from work? <laughs> I was at work, and uh, I think he was just a little nervous, so he called and wanted me to be able to process that on the way home. And I always said to the kids, a free education still isn't worth it if they're unhappy. And so my husband and I just talked about it. We talked about it with JJ, and he was very level-headed and smart about it. He had great reasonings. He had thought it through. In other words, he had a plan, just like he had to get to college in the first place. In the fall of 2008, J.J. Watt enrolled at Wisconsin without a scholarship. He hadn't been recruited to play football, and he was going to have to prove to the coaches that he deserved to be there. His first shot was as part of the scout team, the crew that helps the main team practice, but never actually gets a chance to play in the games. Being on the scout team, it gives me the chance to craft my skills without a ton of pressure. You're on the scout team, it's not like they're up there in the team meeting and showing clips of you missing a fit on the, on the scout team. So I could really give it everything that I had and lay it all on the line every play. And I was I had the ability to make some mistakes and learn from them. I remember being on scout team as a freshman, and I do remember everyone on the other side hated me. So how did they feel about you? That was almost the goal, is if the, if the first team offense hated you, that meant you were doing a decent job. 
you wanted to go out there and you wanted to try and make those guys better because that's your job as a scout team player. But at the end of the day, you also want to make an impression on the coaching staff and say, hey, I'm a guy that I hope you can give a chance to. And he did leave an impression. The Wisconsin coaches named J.J. Defensive Scout Team Player of the Year in 2008. J.J.'s effort on scout team had convinced his coaches that he deserved to be at Wisconsin. Before the start of the 2009 season, he got his scholarship and a starting spot. J.J.'s plan had finally come to fruition. In J.J.'s first game, he made six tackles and posted a half sack in a 28-20 victory against Northern Illinois. He'd come a long way. Here's Chris McIntosh again. Do you remember the first time you heard the name J.J. Watt? I do. I, re- I remember just hearing Pewaukee. I mean, I was the first athletic scholarship granted to anyone at Pewaukee High School. It just made me proud you know, to hear that there was someone else from Pewaukee that had made the journey here. For McIntosh, it was a surprise to hear someone from his hometown made it to the Big Ten. But once he got to know J.J., it made perfect sense. It's easy to talk about it. It's easy to say we should work. It's easy to say we should win. It's easy to, to be the you rah rah guy on the field when everybody's watching. But it's an incredibly difficult thing to do to grind on a day-to-day basis in January in a Wisconsin winter when... Nobody's watching except your teammates. And that's the kind of quality that J.J. possesses. He's got this insatiable hunger to be better. He's never satisfied. Right off the get-go, J.J. Watt. J.J. emerged as a star at Wisconsin. And he helped turn around an unranked Badgers team. They went 10-3 his sophomore season. By the end of the year, they were ranked 16th in the country. And the next year was even better. Wisconsin went 11-2 and and finished 7th in the nation. J.J. had made himself indispensable. And I'll tell you right now, this is what you want your defensive ends to look like. J.J. Watt is 6'6", about 290. He's a transfer out of Central Michigan. I asked Brett Mielema yesterday, how did this kid, who was all state in Wisconsin, get away from you guys? And Mielema said, well, he was 6'2", and about, what, 197 pounds when he came out. 240. He's now almost 300. Yeah. Good looking kid. (laughs) Late bloomer. In 2010, JJ was Wisconsin's team MVP and made the All Big Ten first team. Both Sports Illustrated and the Associated Press selected him as second team All American. After that season, JJ declared for the NFL draft, and the Houston Texans took him with the 11th pick overall. He was, at last, a professional. What do you remember about um, J.J.'s first game in the NFL? I just remember, you know, waiting for him to come out of that tunnel, watching him, and you're watching him like he's a two-year-old. You're watching every move, every run, every, you know, everything that he's doing. and It was just incredibly prideful for us. Now, entering his seventh season, J.J. has only gotten better. He's won the NFL's Defensive Player of the Year award three times, one of only two players to accomplish that feat. He's a game-changing star, a defensive force, and the first player opposing coaches think about when they play the Texans. All this hasn't changed how J.J. views himself. He still feels like a walk-on, like an underdog. In many ways, he uses that feeling to fuel his desire to win. People see three defensive player of the years and they think, oh man, this guy's always been good. He's been good for the last seven years, you know. 
but I don't see it that way. Just because the world sees it that way doesn't mean I see it that way. I still see the scout team guy. I still see the guy's rookie year who training camp, he sucked in his first like five or six games. Terrible. One of those moments where you're sitting there like, can I, can I play in the NFL? Like, am I any good? Am I going to be any good? Like you still, you still seem paranoid. Is that fair to say? Like some bit of paranoia that someone's coming for your job. It's definitely some sort of version of paranoia. Like it's more that intrinsic motivation that I'm going to be the best. I know that there's young guys coming up in the league trying to do what I'm doing. I know that there's guys always hungry to be the next me. Everybody's trying, you know, you're trying to be the next somebody. They're trying to be the next you. I don't want to let anybody else have the title of the best because that's my title. But I think that's one of the reasons I got to the level I got to is because in my own head, even when it was walking on and it was um, no scholarship, all those things, never once did I doubt that I'd be able to make the next step. It wasn't always the NFL. It was just the next step. It was from walk-on to uh, second team, second team to first team, first team to scholarship. So it was never like I was like a scout team player being like, okay, let's, let's go for the NFL. It was like, I'm just going to do whatever I can today to make sure I'm in the best position for tomorrow. That's JJ in a nutshell. He made a plan, stuck to it, and worked hard. It's a simple equation repeated over and over and over again until a scrawny kid becomes a quarterback-sacking, pass-deflecting monster. Just keep taking that next step. And when you trip, and you will trip, know that you can always rely on the foundation you've built with the work you've put in. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Secret to Victory. Next week, Cubs player Kyle Schwarber on the lovable loser's journey to the World Series. You're going to the playoffs and you could have Kyle Schwarber there for the World Series. Did you think that he was going to be able to hit Major League Pitching? Yeah, that was the wild card. If he's back, can he perform? That's next week on The Secret to Victory. You can subscribe to The Secret to Victory on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And while you're there, please leave a review. It helps others discover the show. This podcast was produced by Abby Ruzica and edited by Eric Mennel. Research and editing by Noah Davis. Jorge Estrada is our associate producer. We had help this week from Julia Botero and Nicole Wong. Creative direction by Nazanin Rafsanjani. This episode was mixed by Sam Baer. Music by Dan Brunel and Bobby Lord. Music direction by Matt Bowl. Technical direction by Zach Schmidt. Special thanks to Caitlin Delana and Oscar Zavallos. You can learn more about the show at Gatorade.com slash podcast. I'm Dominique Foxworth. Thanks for listening.